Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 100. Oh my God, we made it. A full century and today's guest is me. Uh, firstly, a big thank you to our sponsors, Drinker Rapper, have been sponsoring this podcast for almost the last 40 or 50 episodes. Cannot thank them enough. Make sure you go over to drinkerrapper.com, check out their product. The Brain Performance Drink is my favorite. Good replacement for coffee, all natural, no caffeine. It's a New Zealand Neuroberry, a blackcurrant juice tasting um, beverage. It's absolutely incredible. I love it. Head over to their website, check it out. Use code GOODHUMAN and you get a big 25% off. You can also find it in Coles and Woolies. Look for the purple glass bottle. Also, if you love your mom, I have the perfect Mother's Day gift for you. If you go over to the goodhumanfactory.com, any item of women's merch, any t-shirt or any unisex hoodies will receive a free pair of Good Human socks, which are valued about $25. And also the special thing is you get a good human gratitude card. So you can write your mom a special thanks for being a good human note. Let them know how much they mean to you and wait until you see the impact it'll have on them, but also on you. So head over to goodhumanfactory.com. Any item between now and May 3rd will receive yeah, a free pair of socks if it's a women's item and a gratitude card. Use the code podcast and you do get 25% off. It's going to be less than $50 for a shirt and a pair of socks and a gratitude card. Great little deal for Mother's Day. So go check that out. All right, episode 100. I don't really need to say too much about this because I decided that I was going to have myself as a guest. And I'll tell you why I got to here. I feel like you all know my story quite well just through listening to me talk to my guests. But I also think, yeah, there's a lot that you might not know about me. So I was thinking, who am I going to get on for 100? And I've been talking to Kelly Slater. I've been talking to all these awesome people, but um, they've been postponed a few weeks. So I was like, who can I get? And somebody said, why don't you have yourself on and get somebody to interview you? So I was like, who can I get to interview me? And a previous guest on this podcast, Harry Bink, Nitro Circus, freestyle motocross rider, first ever to land a triple backflip in competition and an absolute legend, best friend of mine, but also a very curious thinker. He interviewed me. He's um, yeah, a beautiful guy. He asked me some really interesting questions. It was the first time he's ever um, hosted a podcast, which was um, a bit of fun. But yeah, I think you guys are going to maybe learn a lot about me in this episode, hopefully get some positive little things out of it. And yeah. Hopefully you enjoy the episode. If you do enjoy it, please do me a big favor. Go and share your favorite episode. There's been 100 guests now. If you've listened to a few of them and you like a couple of them, share one on your Instagram story. Tell a friend about it. Let's start growing this podcast. The next few weeks are going to be massive. Make sure you go like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Leave us a review on Apple. Uh, you can now leave reviews on Spotify. So leave us a little review on Spotify. I'd love to read them. And yeah, know the impact this podcast has had on you because it's had a profound impact on my life, these conversations. So I'm so glad that you guys get to listen to them too. So let's jump into today's podcast. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, me. 
Sweet. Oh, this is a bit weird sitting in the chair, really. <laughs> oh, it? Not being the guest. It's quite easy when you spy the questions. It's... Yeah, it must be a crazy feeling for you. Firstly, congratulations getting to 100 episodes. Oh, my gosh. I remember when you first started the podcast, Kingscliff Days, um, you were living with Alex Hayes, started, you told me the vision, everything, um, and just seeing the development you've had in the podcast to where it is now, must be a crazy feeling like hitting 100 podcasts. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, at the start, I just didn't really have any idea of where it was going to go. I was like, all right, I'll get the surfers, like that'll be easy, and then I'll like advance out of athletes. Yeah. But I mean, you look back at the guests from the last hundred, it's been crazy, like getting to speak to neuroscientists, getting to speak to doctors, getting to speak to experts in all different fields has been a massive eye-opener. But yeah, it's been um, an absolute privilege to get to have a conversation with some of the people I have, including you, and just get to know people's stories and get access behind the scenes and a bit deeper than the kind of surface level shit we always kind of get with people. So yeah, it's been pretty wild to get to a hundred. Most, I think it's like, I think it's like 90% of podcasts quit before episode 10. So oh, to wow. get to guest a hundred and I oh, think wow. I'm at like episode 260 or something. It's yeah. um, pretty cool to know that I've got there, but wow. I also look at people like Joe Rogan at like 1800 and I look at people like, yeah. Uh, there's another one like Modern Wisdom, Diary of a CEO. A lot of the ones that I love are at like two to four hundred. So I'm like I'm like halfway to where I kind of yeah. even see successful being. Yeah, interesting what you judge success off there. But um, even just taking it back to the first few episodes, when I first met you, when we first started hanging out, your headspace was an athlete headspace. Mm. You're an athlete. That was more your identity as a human, things like that. And then watching you shift into not only being a podcast host, mental health, the awareness you seeing other people, you bringing out their knowledge, um, all just the growth that I've seen in you from when I first met you to now in just that three year period, um, it's crazy. And I think with the podcast and the people that you're meeting, um, we'll obviously tap into that a lot more, but. It's been very interesting and I've learned a lot watching your growth and the journey in that. Yeah, it's been cool. It's funny like talking about that because we became friends, I guess, in my last sort of year where I still was like really focused on being an athlete and competing. Mm. But I look back at that period now and I think I kind of knew even when I met you that I was like on my way out because I was starting to build this other thing. But yeah, it's been interesting that you've got to see the development of the Good Human Factory from almost the inception when I was living in Byron, it kind of started to get a bit of movement. And then when I moved to Kingscliff, which is when I met you, is when the podcast had like fully been established and launched. And yeah, you've kind of got to see really every leap and bound of the Good Human Factory and you've been an ambassador from the very beginning. So yeah, it's cool to see, like you said, it's a really interesting take to see that you've seen me evolve from athlete to business owner. Yeah, mm. for sure, definitely. Um, before we kick off the potty... I got um the the, oh, the no, gratitude no. card. Thank you for being a good human. Oh, no <laughs> oh. But um, it it all it's all a full circle here, and um, like yeah, I'll let you read it. Yeah, so if, if anyone can, listening, if Harry's you can read my... one of um my good human factory gratitude cards, and he's written me a little note, so I'm gonna read it out. He if said, you can read my handwriting, to Cooper, <laughs> I want to thank you for. The vision you had to then commit to the Good Human Factory, bringing so many amazing humans together to continue to grow each other and be the best, bring the best out 
of life for everyone. Yeah. Love your hero, Harry. <laughs> That's the nice too. I appreciate it, bro. It's, um, yeah, it's so cool getting to bring us all together and try and spread this message and show that mental health is something that we all have and we all need to take care of. And I'm just so grateful that all you guys have come on the journey with me and helping me spread that message. Mm. But. Definitely, definitely. I think um, I'm, uh, I think like in this day and age in life, so many people judge like being rich as bank account dollars signs. Mm. Like that's how you be rich. But I think like um, the biggest thing we've kind of grown into and we've learned on a similar timeline together that like being rich is understanding your values. Mm. And if you can't see a value in a person or within yourself, how, how do you know that the value's there? Mm. So if you can recognize these values, I think that's a form of being rich. And to me, looking at what you're doing with your work, everything, you're a rich mother <laughs> without swearing on the podcast. Yeah. But because um, of the values and the, the peace that you get to be with yourself and like the knowledge and... Uh, and you can find that in other people when you find when you have it in yourself and things like that. Mm. So, uh, to, yeah, you, you're you're a very rich person in my eyes, uh, and I think um, I, I feel like you've brought that out of me as well. So, yeah, I enjoy I enjoy having our time together. Absolutely, but yeah, man, it's been a crazy journey, and it's funny. This is, this will be a cool opportunity this episode for you to get to know me, maybe before my surfing a little bit more, um, because yeah, there's kind of been a juggle and it definitely hasn't been that way the whole time yeah for sure man yeah i'm keen to kick off the potty (laughs) sweet um yeah all right so i I guess maybe i'll explain quickly what what we're doing here right now for the guests yeah for episode 100 i um had a few people on the line that i wanted to potentially chat to a few that are going to be coming up in the next couple weeks um, but then I thought, what can I do for a hundred that doesn't make somebody more special than anybody else? And not to say that I'm special, but I was like episode a hundred. I feel like everybody's got to know me pretty well, probably through t- me talking to other guests, but I thought it'd be a cool opportunity for people to get to know my story a little bit better. There's millions of podcasts out there that I've been guests on, but to get one of my best mates to be able to question me to parts of my life that maybe you don't know because obviously being one of my best mates you do know a lot about me but this is kind of an opportunity to get to know more about me so it's good for the get the listeners right now to get to know that little bit deeper and those kind of obscure questions that i know you're probably going to ask me over the next 45 minutes or so so yeah yeah that's where we are harry bink one of my best friends interviewing me to get to know my story a bit better and i'm sure we're going to get to know yours throughout this as well so yeah. Let's go for it. Yeah. What do, you, what do you got for me? It's the first time Harry's hosted a podcast, by the way. Yeah. So let's um let's jump into it. No, it's cool, man, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do this. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, dude, firstly, um, where did you grow up? Um, what was like? What was life growing up for you as a young kid? Like, what was your family environment like? Location, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up in Narrabeen, Sydney's northern beaches. Um. Pretty good upbringing, I think. The more I see other people's stories and hear of people who had really difficult upbringings, I'd like to say I had a very, very stable upbringing. Mum and dad still together now, three beautiful sisters. Um, I guess maybe from a bit of a young age, I, I knew that sport was always going to be important to me. My dad like got me into football from a young age. I played rugby union like pretty intensely from four years old or five years old, I think, up until like 13. And there's a lot of young surfers who kind of get, say like, oh, I started surfing at two or three. 
I was never that guy. My dad was never like, take, I don't have any photos of me like four, five, six, seven out in the surf. I was more focused on my rug on my rugby until then. And then I started surfing at like seven or eight and that was kind of when I started to get pretty passionate about it. But just upbringing-wise, pretty normal. Me and my sisters all went to the same primary school. We're all at school together. And then, um, yeah, just pretty normal upbringing, I think. Like, I feel like I had great structure and like as good opportunities as you possibly could. I definitely didn't come from a wealthy family. There wasn't money being thrown around and holidays all the time, but it was just getting us into sport, giving us opportunities as kids to learn stuff and then get to flourish into the adults that we've all become today. And all of us have become, I'd like to say, pretty successful in our own rights from my younger sister's a primary school teacher, my second sister's a nurse. I'm doing my thing and um, Chloe, my older sister's got a pretty extravagant life herself. So yeah, yeah, my parents did really well, I think, raising us. Yeah, I feel like there's all different extremes as well with like you and your siblings. Mm. Um, your middle sister, how old did you say your middle sister is? So I've got, um, maybe sit back on that one, I've seen it really loud, yeah. that's okay. Oh, yeah. uh, um, so I've got a sister that's two years younger than me yeah. and then two years younger than her and then two years older than me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. so it's kind of like each two years is a new one. Yeah, okay. So it's, yeah, individual, so, yeah. That's, uh, and then how did you go being, like, the only brother, like, growing up, like, with the sisters? Like, were, were you kind of always doing your own thing or, like, um, were you, was, was it, like, more individual or did, yeah, how did that, like, come, like, growing up? I mean, it was pretty close near. I definitely obviously like spent a lot of time with my dad traveling around to surf comps but the whole family would come pretty often like school holidays would pack up the car as a family to go to my surf comps and my older sister and both the younger sisters would come they never really got into surfing my older sister chloe's best friend is laura enova who's a world um, junior champion surfer and amazing person so my sister older sister surfed a little bit yeah um so we would be around the beach together. And then my youngest sister is uh, one who actually got into surfing. That wouldn't have been until I was like 15, 16, 17, really. Yeah. Um, but we spent a lot of time together as a family. I'd go and watch netball on the weekends. My dad wasn't just like hang out with Cooper. It was always, no, we're going to watch the girls play sport as well. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like my sisters all danced. They all did their own sports, but we're always pretty close. Like we'd always be supporting each other on the weekends, being around stuff. And then my surfing was kind of the one athletic endeavor in our family that became elite. So yeah, a bit more time and energy got put into that, obviously. But from a young age, I was getting sponsored and like pretty looked after with surfing. So it didn't become a huge, huge expense for my family, like a lot of families it does, but... Yeah, I, th I feel like we're pretty close-knit family. Like, we'd all be around at events and always be together. Yeah. Sounds like your parents had their work cut out for them. Like, all of you guys having such a sporty background, your dad, like, giving you – your mom and dad giving you opportunities and everything. Mm. And then, um, yeah, four kids, that they'd have their work cut out for them. Yeah, I definitely look uh, – I look around now and I can, I see friends like our friends, like Harley with one kid and another one on the way and other friends. And I'm like, imagine having four, yeah. like, that would be hard work. <laughs> that's but, a lot of appointments and deadlines. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, like that school assignments and yeah. buddy getting kids to sport and having the money to be able to go and do the things. And like, like I, like I said, I was lucky that I was getting free surfboards from like 12 years old and my dad, 
um, and I was getting free wetsuits and I was the same size as my dad from about 15. So my dad actually hasn't paid for a wetsuit or a surfboard oh, no in so long way. because he would always get my hand-me-downs. Oh, your dad's the same size as you since, oh, sorry, since oh, you were 15? Yeah, from about 15, like 15, oh, wow. 16, I kind of hit my growth and <laughs> my dad like hasn't bought clothes or wetsuits himself for so long. For himself, yeah, so it was a good trade-off, but he obviously yeah, supported me a lot to get to all my events as a kid and yeah yeah it's it nice my upbringing sick yeah awesome i love the part um firstly like all the opportunities that you guys got as younger kids um and then how you were saying i think it's a kind of normal upbringing but um yeah it's cool that it sounds like um yeah you had a really good like structure your fam. like i feel like you got given a lot of responsibility at the same time like growing up by um like it was up to you where you wanted to take your journey. You got given the opportunities, but then it was kind of up to you how far you wanted to take it yeah. as an individual. Like, and, and it would have been this, like, it sounds like you and your sisters, like all got equal opportunities and everything. Yeah. I think that's sounds about right. I haven't really thought about it like that, but yeah, I definitely like got equal opportunity to either surf or footy. I never really got that pushed into anything. Yeah. And then I had a bit of talent from a pretty young age when it came to the surfing. So like I got sponsored and I was winning contests and it was like, well, do I go the individual one where I'm in the top of my division or do I stay in the rugby and keep getting smashed? And yeah, that was a direction that I naturally just wanted to go because the ocean was way better. And I'm sure my parents are very stoked that that's the direction I went because the beach is somewhere that they love as well. But yeah, like you said, I think I definitely did take on that responsibility and have that desire to be pretty successful from a young age when it came to my sport. I was super competitive from the rugby, I think, that brought it into my surfing. Mm. And, yeah, like I said, I was very lucky that I did get the opportunity to chase the dreams that I wanted to from a kid, but still, like, really loved school. That was a big part. Like, my family pushed me super hard into not push me super hard at all into school. I never had any pressure to do well, but it was always important that I did go to school and didn't just sort of like, oh, it's okay. Like school was important to my family. But once I got towards the end of school, my parents didn't really care if I was trying to chase a uni or not, which made, I think, the last few years a lot easier for me throughout high school. Yeah. Yeah, sick. Um, so talking about you got the football, surfing, all the different athletic side of things, um, whenever we go and do a hobby of any kind, we go to play like golf, we're doing whatever we're doing. You are like one of the most athletic people <laughs> I've ever met. And I'm not just saying that. Um, my high school mates that I grew up with, they were the most athletic people I met till I met you. Now there was a half marathon on the Gold Coast recently and you had full marathon. Oh, sorry, full marathon. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I, I, um, no training. You signed up a week before. Or was it the day before? Two days before. Two days before <laughs> and you did a full marathon. Um, yeah, so just sorry, just bouncing back to all the athletic side, like um, I don't think that you were like an average athletic person. Like you were very high extreme and like even watching you on a surfboard, it looks like you have a cheat code. Like every time you like <laughs> carve the waves or anything, it like it looks fake to me because you're like how, how naturally like or I just see how talented you are at your craft. Um, and I feel like you carry, like you, what you're talking about competitively, but you've carried that through like nearly all athletic sides of like just being really talented yeah. at everything. I've got a weirdly, I don't know, I don't want to sound ego, but I'm, I'm like 
slightly above average, I feel like, at most things that I do. Yeah. I can, like, hold my own. Like, on the golf course, that's taken a lot of time and practice to get to how I play golf. But, like, playing tennis, I feel like I'm just a, I'm good enough to make, like, your average person annoyed diverse. <laughs> oh, well, dude, you stream anything we've ever done. I've got good hand-eye bat-ball coordination and I've got pretty good, obviously, board coordination. The one thing that I suck on is wheels, though. Especially yeah. two wheels, so the motorbikes yeah. and the BMX, I'm, I'm shit on a bike. So. I'm gonna have to agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, man. But um, <laughs> but it's funny, like the trades that um, that that's probably the only trade I would have, like being on the wheels, and then the rest I'm really average at everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's cool to see. I enjoy watching your mindset and how naturally you can pick up stuff and fast like that. And um, yeah, it's cool to see in your athletic background. And the way you've transitioned all that knowledge into like, I feel like you're still running off the similar formulas from you, like whether it's like, oh, I'm in two days, I'm going to do a full marathon. <laughs> like what? But um, yeah, I feel like when you set your mind to something, like you really can achieve it. Like I think it's just problem solving. I like trying to, I mean, when it comes to athletic endeavors, it's a bit different. Like problem solving becomes a little bit out the door and it's a bit more like mind over matter. Like the marathon was, um, I feel like we can all do it. Like the thing is most of us just get held back by our mind. Like you watch Ned Brockman run hundred Ks a day for 45 days. Like we're all capable of running 40 Ks once. Yeah, it was just my mind that would get in my way. And for most of us, it's that like I had a friend the other day tell me like, he's doing the Gold Coast marathon and he's going to like train and sent me this massive training schedule. And he's like, Oh, I hope I can do it. I was like, if you do that training schedule, I'll a hundred thousand percent guarantee you'll finish it. But I was like, you'll be able to do it without it. It's just our mind that holds us back. And that's what he's like. Yeah, but your mind's so strong. I was like, I don't feel like I have that strong of a mind at all. I just don't take, I don't know how to explain this without sounding like a dick, but like, I don't take failure as an answer when it comes to stuff like that. It's like, I'll just go until my body can't go anymore. And quite often you surprise yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting hearing your mindset on that because I feel like uh, in our friendship circle, we all have a similar mindset in some ways, but then to see the extreme that you go to, like doing a full marathon with no training, like, and I've, like, I know your lifestyle, like, yes, you go surfing and you're active, but you still don't go to the gym regularly. You still don't go for jogs regularly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I know, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but like, that's what I mean. Like, you can go to these high extremes with no consistency of training whatsoever. And I find that so intriguing because, like, what you were just saying, like, everyone can run 40k. Like, I don't know if my body would actually. Allow Your me. body's a bit cooked. <laughs> You're breaking hundreds of bones. Um, but I love seeing the mindset because I have little like big mental blocks as well. What I can and can't do, and something that I would might seem easy, like you just blow it out. I mean, sorry, hard or scary. You would blow it out of the park. For example, I love my fitness, but I'm not going to sign up to. I can't even sign up to a half marathon, let alone a full one. So I find it really. Our easy. bodies are. Worse. <laughs> Our bodies can do different things. I mean. Yeah. I just, yeah, have a pretty good body when it comes to, like, distant, somewhat athletic things. I think I'm pretty long and skinny, but, yeah, I definitely don't run that much, and I got through that. I've done, like, a few big swims, uh, like a big swim with Alex, and I don't know how I finished that, but I just like to put myself in the situation and not think about it too much. Yeah. You think about it once you're doing it. And somebody told me that um, there's a good reference. Somebody, Dean Morrison, a pro surf, told me this. He said the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. So, like, you're going to be nervous before, but then once you start doing it, the confidence comes. And the the analogy used for this, he said, 
if you're thinking about when you're paddling into a 10 foot wave about falling and the consequences, then what's going to happen? You're going to fall. Yeah. If you're thinking completely on the task, what can I do in this moment to execute? Just act like you know what you're doing, paddle over the ledge, stand up like you've done a hundred times before. Quite often you'll surprise yourself. So I try and take that into each endeavor I do, whether I'm getting on a stage and I'm a bit nervous, go like, well, I'm just going to act like I know what I'm doing. When I'm about to run a big race, I'm just going to like get to the start line and just start doing it like the good guys are doing it and just watch myself fall apart after. But I don't know, just that sort of the mindset of like just tricking myself into being like, yeah, I'm going to be confident. And then if it becomes way too hard, then I'll try not to quit. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's really cool. So... Like what you said about the manifesting, you like visualize it that you've done it a hundred times before and then committing like that's such a, such a rare thing that only X amount of people can vision. But I don't even like visualize a hundred times before. I'll use it doing a speech as an example. I'll use the other day I did a um, a morning mindfulness thing with change. Yeah. I kind of go up knowing like the few little things that I want to talk about. And then if I think too much about it, I get bummed out if I miss something. So I just go, all right, I know that I'm going to like execute. I know I can do this stuff. Mm. I'll just get up there and sort of see what comes out. Yeah. But not be too nervous about it because then that's when the right (laughs) stuff doesn't come out. So it's a weird one. I don't know. I play games in my head with stuff like that. It's a massive balance. Um, So, yeah, what we were just talking about with the fear thing, like, um, yeah, telling yourself you've done it a hundred times to – be natural when you do do it for a first time or what that might be um do you find coming from your athlete days and like that strong really savage i'm going to call it savage that savage strong mindset to achieve these like great high goals or just unordinary things that people aren't doing um do you find that helped you a lot transitioning into the good human factory to like bring out the best energy within yourself to stand up on a stage or like are you still running like what you kind of said it before but you still run off all the same similar formulas in your head to an extent yeah to an extent definitely i think there's less pressure now might be like the biggest obviously difference i mean i guess it's a different pressure now the pressure is if my business isn't performing i'm not eating i guess it was the same as with surfing but yeah it wasn't as be all and end all if i lost in that surf comp i couldn't redo that surf comp sure there'd be another comp Whereas with my business now, I feel like I've got this free reign to sort of like fail, pivot, fail, pivot. It's on me. Whereas when it was surfing, it was like fail, sponsors judge you, fail, sponsors judge you. Whereas now it's like I just judge myself and get to move on. So I feel like I got to pull some of the best things out of the best structures and mindsets out of surfing into my business. Mm. But I've tried to leave kind of the detrimental things with surfing, the kind of overpressure of being an athlete, the over an analysis of, of a performance. It's like, sure, right now I'll analyze a performance and then move forward, whereas I used to like just be so much more in my head when it came to that. But I think that's just maturing as well and understanding. Yeah. And I think as that fell away towards the end of my career, it was a detriment to my performance. That's why I feel like through my early 20s, I was probably performing better because I cared so much and I was so critical on myself whereas the more I started to shift my mindset into oh there's a lot more in the world than just surfing I think my performance declined so it's a it's a fine line that I feel like I've walked that I probably could have maintained that mindset for longer in my surf career if I wanted to have deeper success than what I did yeah whereas now it's a far I feel like lighter load on my shoulders because 
yeah, I don't have this like expectation of achieving a goal. Whereas now with the good human factor, I'm not trying to achieve a goal. I'm just trying to head in a direction. Yeah, cool. I like that. That makes sense. It's like it does massively. So you're not you're not having end destination thinking within mm. your business. Do you feel like when you were competing, you had a lot of like end destination thinking, like when I achieve this or I'm yeah. trying to achieve this and then I'll be happy. Yeah, it can haunt you and Absolutely. things like that. Yeah, like the biggest thing in surfing. And this is something that you probably wouldn't even know with me because it's funny. You don't, we don't know our sports that well, like the whole competitive At structure. <laughs> exactly. So like with surfing, the main goal when you're a young pro surfer, any pro surfer, is to get to the world tour. The world yeah. tour is the top 32 in the world. That's kind of all of our goals. You get there, you've made the sort of benchmark. Yeah. And I never got there. And that was something that played at me for a long time and it kind of sat with me like, oh, most of the friends around me who I competed with, grew up with, or got there once, even if it was just for a year. Yeah. And it's something that I, I still kind of think in my head, like, for a long time it hurt me, and then I just came to radical acceptance, and I was like, fuck, who cares? I travelled the world pro surfing for yeah. 10 years or 15 years of my life. Like, I've won. I can make it a choice to look back and be disappointed that I didn't get to there, or I can look back with the mindset of, I travelled the world surfing for 15 years. I won. Like, sure, I might not have the trophies to show for it, but I've got the memories, the experiences, the um, friends from the career that I can choose to look back. And I'm sure there's so many athletes out there, might have been some listening to this, who look back with regret that they didn't quite get to the level or the one event they didn't win they want to. Yeah. You can choose to, like, either have that mindset or have a different mindset, and I'm just consciously making that choice not to look at my career like I failed to reaching the goal that I really set out to reach yeah I still traveled and achieved a lot more than others so yeah that's yeah uh, I think that's a lesson learned for like any athlete or like for to to maintain a healthy mindset is like don't um like when you're not like do the best you can but you can't do any more than that mm. and like what you said it sounded like you had so much like you can, you can walk around with a lot of weight on your shoulders because you think, if I don't get that, like, I'm letting out my family, my friends. Like, Sponsors, you go, to, you yeah. go down the biggest rabbit hole mm. and then you're like, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's one of my favourite topics. But then it's also, going back on what we are talking about a second ago, maybe the more I shifted to this grateful and content mindset, the performance dropped. So it's, it's finding this, like, weird balance yeah. of really wanting to win but also being happy with the outcome whether or not you win yeah yeah it's probably the big like biggest love hate relationship an athlete Mm. has to deal or overcome yeah for sure so um yeah growing up uh, with the sisters everyone's uh very sporty background doing all your things you said you got into surfing a little bit later than than most (laughs) i mean not i mean to be honest Eight, eight is pretty young. Yeah. But, like, sometimes you hear of surfers who get into it at, like, 13, and that's super late. 14, yeah, 15 is really late. Yeah. Um, but you do hear of kind of, like, kids, like, oh, I started surfing when I was three or four or five. Like, yeah. I wasn't like that. But, yeah, yeah eight, eight or nine, I feel like I really got into it. Sick. And then what – Um. so what? What? how old were you and when did it transition from being a hobby to, like, this is getting serious now? I mean, pretty young, really. With surfing, we have a really good structure in the grommet division. So, like, under 12s, 14s, and 16s is back when I was there, even more structured. Like, every school holidays would be, like, two events. would have, like, plenty. I'd probably have, like, 10, 15 events a year when I was that age. 
So when you're 11 years old and you've got 10 events a year, it's already getting like when I first hit high school, I was already like competing like multiple times each school term on weekends, chasing around the country. Got sponsored when I was 10 or 11 by Rip Curl. Had a board sponsor when I was... That would have been a big... Yeah, I, was, I remember... Rip Curl was like 11 around that age. Like that would have been like, you just reinvented the wheel. <laughs> Bro, it was like, it was so cool when like you were 10. But same thing, it was funny. Like I had this weird... When I was like quite young, I remember I used to like get an email from my team manager and it'd be like, yep, you've got a box on its way. And I used to run home from school. I'd run up the hill like, oh my God, is it here today? And I'd get home and it wouldn't be there. I'd be so bummed. (laughs) And then like the day I'd get, I remember this one year it got there like a day or two days before Christmas. Yeah. And I got this big box of like all ripped on new wetsuits, hats, all this stuff. And then Christmas came and it felt like such a letdown because I'd just been given like thousands of dollars worth of stuff, which obviously my parents can't afford to give me thousands of dollars of Christmas oh, presents. back then, <laughs> Yeah, man. so dude, it was like back then, huge. Like, I do. That's like you thought I'd get a T-shirt out of mum or dad. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. for often. So <laughs> it was, um, it was cool. Yeah, I got sponsored when I was that young by Rip Curl and then up until like, and then I won an Australian title when I was 14. I'd call that was probably when, it started wow, turning into a bit of a... That's massive at 14. Yeah, it was cool. It was at Margaret River too, which is like a super well-renowned wave in um, Western Australia. Yeah. I was like the younger part of the division. You could be like 14 or 15 competing in the 16s and I was a 14-year-old. So like yeah. at now, obviously, a year is nothing when you're an adult, but when you're a kid, it was a pretty big deal. So that was... um, And that allowed me to qualify for Team Australia to go surf in Ecuador um as a world like under 16 four australians get to go in each division so i got to compete in that yeah when i was like 14 and that kind of started opening up conversations with hurley to like sponsor me and like take me from rip curl and like money started coming to the equation so that was yeah like 15 is like where it sort of became properly like professional where i started getting paid yeah wow that's crazy yeah it's crazy sir it's a crazy it'd be a crazy feeling being 15 years old seeing money coming like um how old were you when you got your first job well when i was like 14 i was sponsored by chili surfboards yeah or maybe 13 i was like i remember i used to go to the factory and clean the surfboard factory all the dust and yeah everything like one day a week I'd go and do that and then I'd get my free surfboards as well as getting my like 10 bucks an hour or something back then Sick. so yeah I, I was always working from a young age from like rip curl to like doing I mean not rip curl sorry from um yeah working at um surfboard factories cleaning up to from like as soon as I could start working I think I was doing that from when I was like 13 Fine, let's give me flashbacks thinking back to it you know you like remember that warehouse when you like think about something yeah. I haven't thought about that in ever um but yeah so I was there for a few years and then what else have I done for work like after school I haven't really had too many real jobs I've kind of was getting paid to surf and then I'd work at like mainly surf school a little bit for a bit of cash but yeah I was kind of getting paid and really focused on that from finishing school really yeah sick yeah that's cool um, so yeah, going through, it's good. like how you got the little bit of what, the structure, like tapping into the athlete, doing a little bit of work, um, going on. So 16, um, how old were you when you moved to the Gold Coast? 
Oh, only two years ago. I didn't move to the go. I moved to Byron when I was twenty five. When, oh, okay. when yeah. um when COVID hit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah we we can catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely not up to that part then yet. Um, sick. So yeah, going through surf comps. Um, yeah. What was your biggest achievement in surfing then? Like, what for you? Like, sorry. Um, what's your like most memorable moment of like doing your surfing versus your biggest achievement? Um the biggest learning curves, the hardest year you had, oh. any injuries, like, fill us more in through the athlete story. If you could just wrap up yeah, the whole yeah. surfing career, like, the biggest learning lessons, the turning point where you started believing in yourself more, or like, where shit just really started clicking for you. Because I've watched you surf, and it's some of the most, some of the most like, talented surfing I've ever seen. Oh, I de- but like I said, I never to, reached that top level. So, like, like to in me, my mind... still a world-class surfer yeah, just yeah. watching you shred away. Like, it's insane. I, I guess kind of the big starting point was in year 11 and 12, I was expecting us focusing on my energy on school, and I did pretty well on the junior series, it's called. I remember I won um, this event in the Philippines, a wave called Cloud9, when I was, I must have just turned 17 because I just got my P's and I won a comp and won like $8,000 the week before I got my P's, which was just like the beautiful moment. Oh I just got to go and God. buy a car straight away. Dude, I bought it. Super Liberty. Um, but then I, from that, I qualified to surf for Australia in World Juniors. I got fifth in World Juniors, which if you got fifth or better in World Juniors, you got an automatic spot in the next level tour, the qualifying opens tour. So I like got not lucky, but obviously did well in that event. So me and my like best friend Wade at the time, both got fifth, which qualified us for this, um, the middle level of this next tour. And we both did pretty well on that in the first six months and then qualified for like the top of the back then it was called the prime series. Now it's called the challenger series, but I like got straight into that in my first sort of crack at it in the first six months, Mm. which is, not super rare, but quite rare. It's like kind of you sort of destined to do pretty well if that's how quickly you can get on there. Um, and then that set me up for kind of a few years of just sort of, I'd say my first year or two, I actually had a few pretty good performances on that top level too. I got like a few fifths on like the really big events. I was, I think the second year I rated like 20th in that tour, I, I rated 23rd and the top 10 out of that tour made it. And there was like 200 on the tour. So I was like in the top 10%, but I needed to be in the top 5%. Yeah, and there's nothing in it. To and get it's, that. It's, yeah, exactly. It was there's one, it was like literally it. one heat or two heats I had to make it through extra that year. Yeah. So it was very close. And that, I think, set me up for this idea that I was like, oh, well, if I can get there now, mm. then it's going to be mellow. Like, I'll just keep progressing. Mm. And that was the highest I ever actually rated. I kind of just slowly almost worked my way down and. I don't know what any real reasons were. There's definitely like, I could have like worked probably a bit harder. I kind of got pretty content with like the amount of money I was making. I was making like 1500 bucks a week or something enough to live off and enough to travel. And I probably could have dedicated a bit more time to my craft Mm. watching other friends of ours who are world champions. I can see the difference in the dedication that I probably had through that time. And I don't know why I probably didn't put in too much hard work. I think I was just like... It's very hard to see the vision at the time of that age. Yeah. And the opportunities you have. I mean, and at def- 15 years old, getting that cash flow coming yeah. in. Yeah. 
like getting getting me able to buy your first car at seventeen, like the week before, like everything's kind of fallen into place a lot. So and then yeah, I got like this results as a junior. I made it to the next tour. I kind of progressed pretty quickly, and then I sort of from twenty till twenty four, I'd say, hit this kind of rut where I was really pretending I was doing really good in like mentally, like juggling the decline in results but I couldn't really work out what was going on. And that was when I was really talking to my sports psych and I was like, oh, my whole self-worth was so tied up in my surfing. And then I was also dealing with this fact that I'd had family history with mental illness. And I, I remember this time I was in America, I was sitting with my manager at the time um, at a Japanese restaurant. I just had a string of bad results and I was struggling and I was just sitting there going like, fuck, like maybe I've got mental illness like my family and like my mind's my mind was just in a shit way because I kept losing and that's all I knew if I was losing then everything else in my life was going to shit too Mm, it was your identity yeah and then my sports psych said to me like I want you to find what your values are and that was um a big turning point and that kind of progressed um through the years and then I had a few pretty good years like close to getting there but not quite and then um I got second in this event in New Zealand. I mean, not in New Zealand, in Japan. In Japan, it was probably my biggest result. I got second in it. Was called um, it was a QS six thousand. It was a pretty big event at the time. Sick. Won like ten thousand US dollars, like, and that was like, all right, I'm on my way. And then I actually had an injury that year and like twisted my ankle training at Surfing Australia on a skate ramp, idiot. And it, like, kind of, I surfed through it, but Did just you ligament, so I just oh, it's just a high ankle sprain. It took months, Which can haunt took you three, worse four months. It's fucked. Yeah, they can haunt you worse than yeah. breaks. In yeah, yeah. so that happened. And then um, then that next year, actually, something happened that's kind of worth mentioning that was kind of cool. So then the next, then they announced the Olympics in surfing and then announced it in Tokyo. And because I got second the year before in that event in Japan, that was the wave where they were running the Olympics in two years. So I got invited to the first ever surfing Olympics training camp. They invited 10 men and six women. Wow. to just experience the AOC, the Olympic Committee coming to surfing first, explaining like the process of the next couple of years of selection and everything. And I was probably the lowest rated, like last chance of person who should have been there. But I got to go to that camp, which is really cool. Like with like Owen Wright, Julian Wilson, Mick Fanning and everyone there. <laughs> and that was actually a big turning point for me because I feel like at that camp, I compared myself to the people around me and I was, I was pretty real about it that I was like, I don't think I'm at these guys' level. Yeah. I don't think I'll get to their level, and that's okay though. Because there was something at that camp that we did. We did um a thing with the, one of the coaches where we did a lot of like be a good human. Like not, I don't think they use the exact words, but they wanted us to be just as good as humans as we were athletes. And one of the things that oh, one of the man, coaches actually cool. Nam, you've met Nam. Yeah, yeah. So Nam's Corey Tunison's um, trainer and does a lot of stuff with Surfing Australia. And at that camp. Him and um, our sports psych said, what's your philosophy? I want by the end of this camp everyone to have a personal philosophy. And I don't think anyone else took it seriously, but I just did because that was for some reason something that I really aligned with. And at the end of that camp, I came up with my philosophy and you'll like this. Think about this is about five years ago now. Yeah. See if this is how you describe the way that I'm living. So my philosophy was through hard work, dedication and passion being a positive influence on my peers and younger generations. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then, yeah. And now I I look at what I've done. I'm like, I feel like I'm a pretty good um, influence on my peers and younger generations with the work I do, and I feel like I've worked pretty hard, had dedication and passion with what I do. And 
so yeah, that was the philosophy I came up with a couple of years ago. And ever since then, I've kind of been maybe moving on a different tra- tra- trajectory from being an athlete to living more towards what my philosophy and purpose is. So yeah, and another really big one that happened in my career, this was right This was right between the Japan event and the um, Olympics. This is nice. This is all coming back to me now. Yeah. Um, I lost my major sponsor. I lost Hurley. And at the time, they had seen my results declining, but I was still in the top 100 surfs in the world. I was still competitive. I was still one event away from making that next level. But they basically said, we don't think you're going to make it and went from making $50,000 a year to making zero for surfing. Mm. And that becomes a very big decision. How the hell do I fund my surf career? So I went from making... 1500 bucks a week to making nothing a week and I still had to travel the world which cost me about $40,000 a year so that was a big turning point do I bother anymore do I retire and that's when I got invited to the Olympics camp and I was like all right I'm gonna have another crack at this I started working full-time at surf school I started working full-time as a laborer just to fund to save enough money in those full-time work to afford going to my next comp and yeah, that was my life for like the last three, four years of my surf career was full time as a tradie, like 50 hours a week, just so I could oh, afford. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I was doing like landscaping work, which then obviously. So, how old were you when you had to, when you got that full time or that job of like construction landscaping? I think I was like, I reckon I just turned 23 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. 23, maybe 24. I don't know, one of those. I like was surfing, I mean, working at surf school full-time, and then I was like, oh, I'm over this. It was making me not want to surf because yeah. I was just like in the water pushing other people into waves for six hours a day. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to do was go surfing. Be around it, for sure. So I started doing some la- labouring, landscaping for a friend of mine's company, and that was, um, I enjoyed it, but... It's a good hit of reality. <laughs> it's a good hit of reality, big days in the sun, um, and then I... I think they're the best thing for a young boy, yeah. young man, just like, just... Because it just makes you so much more grateful when you yeah. get off that job site. Well, and then I was like, oh, I don't know if lands. I just didn't see a future in landscaping. I was like, well, if I'm going to do in the gold a trade. Like, oh, I was out in sorry, Sydney at the yeah, time, sorry. so it was okay. But then I was like, I'll go into building, like construction, um, chippy. So I had a family friend gave me a job as a labourer, but was kind of teaching me underneath him as kind of like a skilled labourer. Um, and that was fun. I got learned how to work my way around a building site. Um, got that camaraderie of a building site, met some other really good young people and saw basically just how another way of living. I went from an athlete to this like full-time work, but then I also had the balance of I would work full-time for three weeks and then I'd jet off to South Africa for a surf comp for a week and a half. Then I'd come home and work for three weeks and then I'd jet off again. So I had this really nice contrast of, when I was at the surf comps, I wanted to feel ungrateful because I was comparing myself to the other athletes who were getting paid to surf who I might have been high ranked from because they were getting paid around the world by their respective mm. country sponsors. But then I was also coming home and working full time and I could either be jealous that I wasn't getting paid or I can be grateful that I'm not at home working while I'm on this holiday. So I was trying to compare across and not down, but across to the people who I work with at home, they're still working while I'm away traveling mm. or I can compare to the other surfers that were getting paid. So it was a good moment for me to start to really reflect on what gratitude actually meant to me. And it was about 
not comparing down, but it's a lot easier to compare across and down to feel good about yourself than to compare across and up like most of us do. Yeah, massively. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, yeah, wow. But that, one of the biggest ones was when my sponsor said to me, you're not good enough, you're, we don't think you're going to make it. I mean, it turns out they were right. But at that stage, I still like, yeah, gave myself a good couple of years of going after my dream and doing everything I could from working to getting in credit card debt to just chasing yeah. um, chasing my dream. But then, yeah, obviously things changed towards the end and this new idea to start something popped up, which yeah. was never really an idea, I guess, which will lead us probably into the good human factory was during working, doing this stuff, I was trying to be a little bit entrepreneurial at the same time and I'd run a surf camp. Yeah. I was like, I want to teach the kids. Um, I'd, I'd been coaching advanced kids quite a bit. So I'd run this surf camp um, for like a weekend with surf uh, with Maddie Granger, Manly Surf School, where I live down in um, Long Reef. And I took like eight kids through a weekend of surfing, meditation, nutrition, gym work. And all the parents said they all loved the meditation. Um, but then I kind of was like, oh, it's a lot more work to organize these camps than it is just to go to work for the week. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, we just went back into the, um, yeah, working as a tradie while doing my comp- competition with, that was at, for for two years of being a tradie, that's where I thought my life was going to go. I was just going to go down getting um, a trade post-career slowly morph into working more full-time and that was where I thought I was potentially going to go. Yeah, crazy. Um, I love hearing what you were talking about when you're getting home from being an athlete, surfing, coming home to work and then you have the time off work and you can either, what you said, you look up or down. You either, yeah, you're a victim or you're not a yeah. victim and it's such a such an interesting mindset to be in. Do you feel like as you kind of got to the end of like your surfing career, do you feel like that's what sparked your thoughts, your way of thinking now. Do you think that was like the first transition of understanding the balances of life and like, I know you could either look at it like my surf career is like, oh, I'm not getting the sponsorship. You had such a strong like path picture in your head, identity, I've got these results, I should just keep getting better results. And then the transition, like we, how, how hard were you on yourself in that process or was it like, how did you go with all that? I mean, it's definitely tricky. The hardest thing was, I mean, I've been lucky that I've kind of juggled the surf career with building the Good Human Factory. Yeah, I feel um, like you so had a really good I've, way of transitioning. Yeah, I kind of like, I, I, I transitioned, I feel like, pretty well out of the sport that I had, that I had something, it was very consciously done. Yeah. I'd seen a lot of people really struggle with that transition post-career mm. um, and I didn't want that to happen to me. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say it's luck, but, the transition ah, of building was, what I did was very conscious. It was yeah, like, you, you all right, what really well, can good. I continue doing this, but then still do a bit of this and build it until it gets to the point where now I can do it full time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's been tricky. The hardest thing to deal with is letting go of like caring. Like yeah. the last year I kind of traveled the world and did the comps. I still really wanted to do well. And I absolutely was giving it my hundred percent. Yeah. But I wasn't coming in after I'd lost, like, super angry or anything or, or disappointed. Yeah. I was just, like, grateful. I'm traveling the world surfing. Like, how much longer am I going to get to do this? So I probably didn't go into the last year or two with the mindset of, like, killer mindset that I needed. Yeah. But 
I got to enjoy the last couple of years that I did it, which was something that I am super happy about. Yeah, it sounded like you had a better... You think it's like not caring enough, but it's probably more just having a better understanding of the situation as well. Yeah, and as well, like one of the things that helped me so much with transition um, and just with life in general is like I started to read books throughout my 20s and it's something that just learning all these different ways of thinking and reading other people's stories who have struggled, what they've learned. And my dad always said to me, it's great to learn from your own mistakes, but it's better to learn from somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> That's sick. Oh. And when I heard, yeah, and just like trying to lead <laughs> that cow. into my life, when I listen to people's stories, I see the mistakes they make and I, okay, I can maybe do something a bit different to that. Um, but yeah, I've, yeah, it's crazy like where I've ended up. Like I never, I feel like I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial and trying to think of ideas and ways to do things a bit differently. Like me and my sister, Chloe, always used to come up with little business ideas and try and conceptualize them, but nothing really came off. So I've always been pretty like entrepreneurial savvy. I think like my sister, Chloe had a bikini line herself, like set that up and did the e-com stuff. So I've had like these different like little mentors around me to realize that I don't have to just go this normal path of a wage and a job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, before we wrap up like the surfing career part, um, did, did you have any injuries throughout your surfing career or like anything like that? Nothing major. That one ankle, like where I twisted my ankle right when I was having a pretty good year was like a pretty major one. Yeah. Um, but never broken a bone, touch wood, which yeah. is wild. Um, couple, like, I think I got to like 20 without stitches as well. I got like a board to the face at Duramba down here on the Gold Coast, um, when I was like 19 or 20, I think. So it took, took me till I was like 19 to even get stitches. Yeah. Um, and then other injuries. The only other one in 2020 when COVID was happening, when I was living in Byron, um, I tore the car, I tore the muscle off my calf. Oh, and wow, did like, no, that's yeah, nice. and did like really bad bone bruising on my left knee. Yeah. Um, and that took a quite a while to heal up, but that was through COVID. So it didn't really matter from a sporting point of view. So yeah, other than that, and then one other one, I bloody slipped on a boat when I was like 17 and my bloody, I don't know which one it is now. I haven't had it for years, but it was my, either my left or my right big toe for like seven years didn't heal. Just oh, always had this little niggle pain. I had like cortisones in it and stuff, but I haven't oh, felt wow. it for years now. But yeah, it was good like seven, eight years of that from like 16 to like 24. My toe really hurt. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Too. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, I've been pretty good with injuries. Yeah, sick. Um, nice. So yeah, wrapping up the surfing career, that transition. I love the transition because I feel like when you were still surfing, like, I was kind of around the stage we met. Um, so why the Gold Coast? Why, what happened with the Sydney going there doing your whole career to moving to the Goldie? What brought you to that? So I'd started the Good Human Factory. Um, I mean, most people already know this story, but yeah, after my sister lost a couple of friends to suicide, I was like, all right, let's do something about this. So I like, I guess this was kind of in this balance of knowing, like I wanted to have something after surfing, but I also wanted to use the profile and the knowledge and the presence, I guess I had from my surf career, not only in my local community, social media and whatnot. I wanted to at least get some sort something out of that more so than just the surfing. So I was like, how can I leverage the profile to build a business? And then this, um, the Good Human Factory sparked up because I'd had family history and mental health. I'd learned a lot of great things that were helping me. And I was like, all right, I'll start 
this mental health organization and the first year it was like one workshop or two workshops at a school and didn't really do much um and while i was juggling the good while i was juggling tradie work so i was like maybe one day a month i'd ask my boss if i could have a half day so i could go to a school and talk to some kids and that was the first year and a half like everything was so slow with the good human factory like hadn't like come up with the business, um, hadn't like registered the business, hadn't started a bank account or anything until I got up to Byron. So 2020 came around, starting to get a little more momentum with the Good Human Factory, still hadn't even like turned it into a business. I was charging out of my personal ABN um, for any workshops I was running, but I'd maybe done five or six workshops before I'd even moved to the Goldie or to Byron. So then, um, yeah, 2020 came around. I was focused on doing the comps for the year trying to build the good human factory but still working full-time as a tradie so it's very hard to do 50 hours of work surf after work and trains for the gym for surfing and try and build a business like i look back and it's fucking crazy that i even thought i could do anything with the good human factory um and then from there i went to um yeah i got a call from maddie laycock a friend of mine and alex's um up in Byron and he said like what are you guys doing through this shit COVID like all my comps had just been cancelled for surfing all of my um, work tradie wise was still going but it's actually a really funny story I was planned and booked to go to New Zealand for a big surf event Um, and then COVID hit everything started speeding up and we're like shit what are we going to do and then the event gets cancelled I'd already told my boss that I was going to take two weeks off work he used to surf, so he knows the surf sort of system. He was very lenient with me traveling. But then the event got cancelled, so he thought I was going to come back to work. But in my mind, I'd already kind of told him I was going to be away. And it was right after the bushfires. So Alex Hayes, our best mate, um, he wanted to go on an RV road trip down to where the bushfires were to donate some money, to film some content and bring some energy back to the community. And I was like, oh, sweet, my boss thinks I'm having two weeks off anyway. So... I got in this RV and left and by the time I got back, I didn't have a job because he was like, you didn't even go on your surf comms. Like, I'm happy to support you doing your events, but I'm not just going to let you go and muck around holidays. So I got back, COVID's hit and I get fired and I'm like, okay, shit, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to find another tradie job. But then luckily, this is just like divine timing of the universe. Um, COVID's ramping up and the government goes, all right, we're going to start paying people... $750 a week job keeper if your jobs are gone. And I was like, well, my job by my ABN is surfing. All my events are canceled. I qualify for this money. Yep. So I started getting the $750 a week. And right exactly when we get told, all right, you're going to get your first payment of $3,000 for the first month um, on May 15th, I get a call about three days before that going, Dude, it's um, Matty Laycock. Do you and Alex want to move up? We found this sick house in Byron, the temple. The, the temple. <laughs> you came there, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's, what I yeah, that's where I met you. Ways, exactly, yeah. that's where I would have met you. Would have met me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I um, and Maddie's like, we can get this two thousand dollar a night Airbnb for two thousand dollars a week because nobody's going to book it because of COVID, and we can have it for two months. It's um, yeah, like three grand 
Oh, not even. It wasn't that, like it wasn't that expensive. So I was like, seven fifty mental, a week. Yeah, the place was mental, the mate. most beautiful house you've ever seen. Yeah. So I was like, environment. And at this stage, I'm like not expecting that I'm going to move out of home any stage soon. I'm comfortable at home with mum and dad, paying small bit of rent at home, traveling so much that it didn't really matter. Um, but then I was like, all right, I'll pack the car up, I'll go up to Byron for two months and then I'll come back home and move back home. Mm. Go to Byron for two months, COVID keeps extending. I end up there for four months. That four months allows me to really lean into the good human factory. I kind of spoke to my accountant. He's like, look, you can get this 750, but make sure you're using your time wisely. So that was like, all right, let's actually develop the good human factory. What more can this be as an organization than just me going and doing workshops? And that's when the podcast launched. Um, had a lot more time on my hands, obviously. This went from like having no time on my hands, 50 hours a week as a worker, to having all the time in the world on my hands. And you can get a lot done when you have some time. So that's when I started the ambassador program. That's when I launched the merchandise. That's when every other pillar of the business kind of became a thought because I had the time and the energy to not be focusing on the surfing, to not be focusing on the um tradey work i just got to really dedicate time on myself but also the good human factory so yeah i did four months in byron but while i was in byron i was driving up to casuarina at surfing australia uh like 45 minutes three or four times a week to go to the gym and by the end of the four months i was like well i'm really enjoying my training i'd build a great community around kingscliff with the surfing australia community i felt like my surfing was improving i felt like there was a bit of hope maybe to reinvigorate my surf career because I was like, sweet, I've got the facility. I'm like, really, this is when I probably met you. This is when I was super into my training down Mm -hmm. at Surfing Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of was reinvigorated or I'll move to Kingscliff. I'll do a year of really hard training. I'll focus on my surfing for next year Mm. while building the good human factory still. Um, And then move to Kingscliff and Mm. yeah, did a year there. That was a really fun like year getting to live with mates. First time living, I mean, we did Byron, but then like first real year living out of home with friends. Like that was fun. You came down there plenty as well. Had a few sleepovers. Yeah. Had a few sleepovers. (laughs) Um, But yeah, since then it's just been trying to grow the business really trying to like work out strategies, how to actually bring money in and be able to maintain the money and keep the cash flow of the business going. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, any question you've been part of this rest of the journey, so it's, it's cool. You can ask some questions to moments that you've seen that are, um, have been interesting or bits that you're interested about with the good human factory as well. The last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, going through that, I was so intrigued from, that athlete transition to starting the good human. I know there was a, there was a long time where it was overlapped and I remember you still shooting down, like going um, south to like surf comps and random things like that. Um, even towards the end of COVID, um, that period. Um, it sounds like your dad triggered a lot of things when you were younger, like expectation over, I'm sorry, appreciation over expectation. Um, there was a few scenarios I heard you talk about your dad, um, triggering a lot of like the gratitude thoughts with the icy pole scenario you said recently on one of your podcasts. Um, yeah, you you didn't get the ice cream. You got the icy pole and you felt like you were ripped off. I love that analogy so much (laughs) because I had a similar thing with my dad growing up. Um, but it was really cool. Um, well, like, do you th- when COVID hit and all that, do you did you think that it really transitioned your thoughts of all right? I'm either gonna be a victim now, or that my career's kind of coming. It's ended a little bit. COVID's hit. 
job, like you're in a really good position to play victim. Mm. Poor me, have a chip on my shoulder. And you can spiral in a lot of negative thoughts. Um, I just seen you get more positive and see more opportunities and then you pass that into good human factory and um, it was sink or swim kind of thing. Mm. Um, like cause, And knowing you from when I first met you to now, your brain is so wired to, you're always thinking about the other person's situation, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And we'll go through day-to-day life or whether it's at the markets or whatever it might be. And you say scenarios where you say what the other person's viewing, seeing, feeling, or whatever it might be. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't even think of it like that. <laughs> and it started triggering so many thought patterns for me. Um, so I can tell it's like on your mind 24-7. You're always like viewing the world from such a different perspective. Do you feel like there was a stage where you started viewing the world a lot differently? Or has it always been consistent? It's a good question. I feel like I've always had a pretty strong curiosity into just trying to understand stuff, just yeah. everything a little bit. I guess that might come back to why I'm okay at like every sport. I've always liked to just try and figure stuff out and yeah. get a little bit better at stuff. But I think when it comes to mindset stuff, for me, a big one's just being like, I come back to reading, like just expanding my knowledge. The more I read, the more I realize there's so much out there that we can learn and different ways that we can view the world. And by learning more, it's dropped my ego back because the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I think that's like a really important thing for us to all kind of feel like there's nothing worse than when you meet someone and you teach them something or you tell them something that they might not know and they act like they do and they try and act like they know it better than you. Yeah. It's like I've just really, really learned the last couple of years that like any information, any criticism is just free information to get better. Yeah. And any learning about anything is just free, like information yeah. that can just make your life better. The more you know, the more you can share it with other people, the more that it can positively influence your life and any the more you know about negative stuff the more that you can know that's the sort of stuff that you don't want so yeah i'm just curious to learn about as much stuff as i can in this life yeah definitely like um firstly you just we just talked about books i think you out of anyone in my friendship circle you knock back the most book you read the most books I, to be honest don't feel like i read that much Dude, I remember i'm like when I, first I do read you, a bit you were but... knocking back a few books um at, at that king's Cliff yeah place. yeah so i did you, read you because you were like i read that book this month this <laughs> month and there was like four books that you'd read that year I've personally, I've never finished a book in my life. I try. Yeah, but you find it hard to read. <laughs> I know. You listen to audiobooks. Eh? Yeah, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, everyone's different, but um, yeah, I'm very jealous of the, <laughs> the concentration levels you have. Now, it's cool. Um, reading. Um, so, you talk about like your reading versus audiobooks. Do you, what do you, do you favor one more than the other? Or I don't really get, I get lost with audiobooks. When I'm yeah. listening to something, my mind like, I'll listen to an audiobook and a podcast and anything, especially like normally when I'm driving, I listen to podcasts. I definitely get super into a lot of them, but then sometimes I find my mind drifting and I find if it's an audiobook, I drift a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but then with books, I don't know. I just enjoy like the physical part of a book. Like I can't really get into the Kindle or anything. I kind of like the idea of like a book being this physical thing that I pick up and it's yeah just a book you try and get from the start to end of it it's done yeah but yeah i just love how many like different self-development books there are out there like i read one this week called i'm gonna get you to do listen to the audiobook it's called breath by um james nester yeah and i literally read that book 
and I know it'll change every single day of my life moving forward because of what I read in that book. Wow. Like learning about the importance of breathing through our nose, about the history of the breath, about these different breathwork techniques, about the science behind it. My life is forever changed because of something I read in a book. Wow. And I'd get that in most of the books I read, whether it be a small mindset shift or a different understanding of when something feels wrong in my body, trying to understand why. Yeah. And the more that we can read, the more that we can gather understandings on different things, yeah, just the better our life's going to be. So I just feel like there's so much information out there. And, like, I didn't read at school at all, and I still don't feel like I'm an amazing reader. Like, I'm not an everyday reader. Like, I try to be, but I go weeks, months at a time without reading. But the more I go back to it, I find by reading, for one, it's improved my speaking skills because my vocabulary, I feel like, has expanded so much from reading. Um, I've noticed that in you a lot. Yeah, I think the more you read, the more words you just know, which make you sound a lot smarter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then also, obviously, the podcast. But I I listen to a lot of podcasts as well. But for one, because it's a great way to learn, like listening to other people's, like like I said before, it's great to learn from your mistakes, better to learn from somebody else's. So learning from other people's stories and podcasts is amazing. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's great research for me as well with obviously this podcast. I try and mimic, not mimic, but find inspiration and ideas from different people's podcasts and pull them together to make the podcast that you're all listening to right now, myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's wicked. Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah, I find that really um, interesting. When you're talking about the audiobooks, I'm like the complete opposite. I, I When I read, I don't even yeah, know what I read. Yeah. Opposite kind of stuff. Yeah, I find that really interesting with the audiobook stuff versus reading, strong values. Um, when with all the what you talked about the bad things happening in life life lessons things like that like you kind of made it sound like every time something bad happened to you you viewed it as a free learning lesson mm. and like some people go to uni or they do apprenticeships to learn things and it sounds like what you did there like bad things mistakes or whatever happened in your life you viewed it all as a free learning lesson I think it just comes back to reflecting. Yeah. Not many of us reflect that often because, for one, it's scary to look back at certain things that have happened. Yeah. And then people find it hard to look back and be actually honest with their interpretation of what happened. Yeah. Rather than have a bias for themselves, whereas I try and almost give myself not the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. How to explain that? It's like, okay, I did it as bad as I can. Like, how can I get better? Yeah. But yeah, I just look back and just try and find things that I did wrong and be yeah, honest with myself. I think just being honest with yourself and like yeah. seeing your own flaws is so hard and it's something that I feel like I'm getting pretty good at. Like if somebody calls me out on something, instead of it upsetting me, as much as it does hurt sometimes, I go, yeah. Well, what truth is in that that I can get value from? Yeah. And I feel like that's given me such a like calmer presence to not react when people do give me negative criticism. I go you say like as a younger kid i was really guilty for it i was the worst uh, I was, you, you, firstly they give you constructive criticism and you literally are on the back defense explaining yourself yeah exactly you just Have explain an yourself before they can even finish what yeah, you're telling that was me so instantly that's especially a, with my dad that's an instant cl- oh okay wow yeah so that's an and he's probably the most guy in your life giving you the most accountable well, things all he's all trying to do is make my life better like, and if you're spending so much time on the defense trying to explain yourself mm. 
But that comes from having so much damn pride in what you do. Mm. You're so passionate. You don't want to let him down, but you're but you're actually doing the opposite by closing off the windows mm. or the, the information that he's it's being taught. Yeah, which is such a crazy thing. And and some adults, forty year old adults, adults, they never get to the other side of that. They're still on the defense. Yeah, I feel like, and the, so many humans are like that. I feel like the quote is like, "Maturity is when you stop blaming." Wow, that. <laughs> that's good. I thought of that one, I was like, it's true. Maturity isn't an age thing. It's when people aren't always blaming their circumstances on external things, or it's like, all right, I'll take responsibility, even if it wasn't my fault. What yeah. can I do to change my situation? I feel like that's maturity. Yeah, so being accountable, always asking yourself the extra questions to get the answers to negativity, uh, your thoughts, or bad habits, mm. like. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, is it better for my long term? And then just ask heaps of extra questions. Sometimes people get halfway through that and they don't like the answers and they just stop asking themselves the questions and forget and oh, we just keep moving on. Oh, and there's things in my life that I try and be honest with myself and fail with all the time. There's stuff that I want to cut out of my life. There's things that I want to do better in life that I fall up short and make excuses in my head all the time. Like I'm so far from perfect, but I'm just trying to always get better at that and catch myself with that. Like that's the thing I think a lot of people forget listening to me and my content that like all of this stuff that I talk about, I do because I struggle. Like I need all this stuff because that's what makes me tick. Like, if I wasn't living with this mindset, then I would be in a dark place. So it's just trying to like continually evolve and yeah, make mistakes, but then learn from them, take accountability and then move forward. Yeah. Such a cool way of viewing it. And, um, and it's contagious being around it. Uh, that mindset and like, it's so refreshing every time we hang out. Like we'll do our dinners when we're home. We try to get one in a week, mm. little things like that. And we have our gratitude dinners where we say what we're grateful for. It's all very natural. We all, for the first few times, it's like, oh, this is new. Like I can talk about my feelings. Um, but now we're at the point where it's like um, we're in a friendship circle where there's no like shame to say the hardcore truth or your weakest like thought you say it when we're together because it's like you we find answers for each other versus when I go and hang out with any other groups of friends it's so like like starstruck to even have those conversations or it's like and then when I hang out with those groups of people I'm like these guys actually just have closed doors for themselves mm. for their within their feelings and things like that it's it's technically closed doors and the more uh, the the more I've watched you evolve over these last few years, and especially in the last year of you, like just on such a growth and how much you've developed with the business and stuff, I just feel like you're continually opening more doors for yourself. Oh, I like that kind of analogy if you use there. I feel like, yeah, I just feel like we need to be so much more open to everybody. What can I learn from this person? What can I learn from that person? Yeah, and just be like a sponge, trying to always look and then reflect what's working, what's not, and just that constant growth mindset but yeah it's something i haven't always had and something that i'm continually trying to get better at but like you said we're so lucky like the friendship group we've created over the past i guess three years really since covid is something that i'm sure everyone in our sort of like inner circle would say is super special from like world champion wakeboarders Corey and harley to yourself to like our willie to alex to like all these incredible athletes but also incredible humans and what i love 
about all of our group is never do we talk about any other people like as in negatively about people negative never are we just yeah, talking I about ever had a never are we talking about negativity. yeah i can't remember the last time yeah, we like talk yeah. shit on someone or like oh how blah blah did you hear about him hooking up with her it's like it's always about like what we're up to and like how we're going to move forward and how we're going to inspire more like more people like we obviously have such a a platform to be able to chase our goals and dreams but it's nice to bring it all under the good human factory as well between us all to spread that message in a way that is a bit more structured around like the mental health conversation because it's something that we all have and it's something that i'm sure from hanging out with me you've learned a lot and i've learned so much from all of you guys as well how we can communicate better how we can support each other better because i've never had that in friendships and it sounds like you're pretty similar the way we talk about previous friendships had supportive people great people but I haven't had people that I've been able to relate to on the level that we have in this, you know, like athlete, not even athlete. There's a bunch of our friends who aren't athletes, but just this sort of like inner growth, good human sort of mindset. It's been really cool. Yeah, for sure. And anyone outside of looking into our friendship circle, sometimes people might be like, oh, they're just friends because they're, they're status. They're a pro this and he's a pro that. So that's why they hang out. But it's like, the reality is we know nothing about it's each other's sports, sports. We and we don't really care. And That's probably we, the best thing. We have no, I, I was chatting to Corey the other, like, I feel so bad because I know nothing. Like, I don't pay, I don't even follow my own sport, let alone other sports. Yeah, yeah. Like I love my, I'm, I'm in my own world all yeah. the time. Um, and it's so interesting looking at, um, just, just, um, from it, whether if you go outside of looking in, not that we even waste our time caring about yeah. that kind of stuff, but it's just interesting looking at all the balances on this. And then next thing for everyone looking at the good human factory, what is the good human factory? Why are they an ambassador and what it is? And I'm going to let you take it over here on this one, but what, yeah, what is a good human ambassador? to the good human factory and why like how do you select them i i know personally so, <laughs> but how do you select them and why why do you think that they have a chance of being on the good human factory and how do you select them oh it's not a massive selection process like a few of the ambassadors have just bought our merch and tagged us and then i'm like sweet you obviously align with what we're the message we're trying to spread but I mean, the good human ambassador thing for one was to build credibility to give all of my friends initially who were the initial good human ambassadors mm. um, a bit of a place to be able to express talking about mental health, supporting what I'm doing, but also just add a little bit more depth because I knew how good of people everyone was. It wasn't just their sporting careers. I wanted to show everyone that there's more than just the accolades of the sport. Yeah. There's the sort of people you are. Like our, our YouTube video we did, bringing people behind the scenes and showing people access to the sort of people that all of the ambassadors are more so than just a sporting career. Yeah. So, yeah, the ambassadors was like partly because of that so I can have a bunch of people who can help me spread the message partly because I want to be able to hang out with all my friends and it technically be work. <laughs> but also I wanted to create a way that post all of my ambassador's career, which I've spoken to you about this before, like I'm looking at the long range with the Good Human Factory that I know the transition has been quite hard for most athletes post-career. And I obviously did what I did, but now I've created a vehicle that all of my ambassadors if you guys are struggling a bit and you need some work or you want to um use 
your journey to inspire people, I've got now a business that you can come and speak under the good human factory. Mm. So I wanted to give all of my athletes a nice little sidestep when they finish their career, if they are a little bit lost. So mm. yeah, there's been like a few reasons, but the main reason is just to give all of you guys something to attach to. I felt like I'd been an ambassador for um, a few other mental health charities before really kicking the good human factory off. And it felt like I got paid by them. It was pretty unorganic. Whereas yeah. I hope it feels like all of you guys and everyone who's an ambassador with the Good Human Factory just feels like part of the family. You guys are all just as much as a Good Human Factory as me. You guys wear the merch, you spread the message. And what it is, is just we're just trying to connect curious minds with mental health and th- see it through a different light. It doesn't always have to be the depression, anxiety conversation. Yeah. It can be the opening up. And I know Corey's told me about it. You have like just the ethos and the energy that we bring with the Good Human Factory gives all of you ambassadors permission to open up to your families a bit more to develop the skills that I try and push through with the good human factory. So yeah, hopefully, like I said, the philosophy before, not only do I want to be a positive inflation, <laughs> positive influence on younger generations. I also want to be a positive influence on my peers. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love everything you just said. Um, Talking about the thing that I've noticed with the Good Human Factory and the people that I've spoken to, um, everyone that I've met, um, well, I feel like everyone, we're exactly the same people. Uh, I feel like how you select people, um, it's never like, oh, they're at the top of their sport, they're going to be a good human ambassador. Um, it's the people, it's it's the energy that you bring or you, that you view in people and what we are talking about before, how um, like negativity can just be like closed doors. Um, I feel like every good human ambassador, regardless of their skill level, they are the same person. Mm. Yeah, you've like, been lucky enough same, to meet like same human. Like every single one, whether it's like Cal's um, pro surfer, like coming down yeah, to the compound. Like I've met so many of the good human ambassadors on different skill ends of the scale, but I feel like I'm picking up the same energy and well, Matty Cox s- came to snowboarding uh, yeah, snowboard and I linked up with him just recently oh yeah, yeah. What was that? he showed me around um, yeah, I, I just mean, wanted to bring good humans uh, together that- Austria um, so for example I'm travelling the world in Europe yeah a couple of weeks ago and linked up with him in Austria um, Innsbruck and we he gave me a full tour of the city oh, and we had a, we, we went out for lunch nice guy, he, he bought me lunch he was, he's, it was unreal um, we had a good time but I'd only met him once before through you but um, what when you're saying about being with a mental health organization with a real authentic energy, um, that is like what I every single ambassador you've selected. It's like I have. It's like there's just we're just breathing fresh air, mm. and there's so much positivity and open minds within all the ambassadors. And I think um, I've seen that strong value in every single one mm. of them. And I and when I first meet them, I'll meet them. And then I'm like, okay, well, oh, yeah, by the way, what sport does this person do? <laughs> yeah. i got to find this person's Instagram. <laughs> I don't know if they're a diver or what they do, but, oh, oh yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a football player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, um, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. And then it, and what you went off of, like, it never being about what people have done it's just by chance we have a lot of best friends who are world champions um which obviously gives us great reach to be able to inspire a lot of people but what like eventually the long-term goal with the good human factory if i can bloody sell some merch but the goal is if the merch starts doing really well and we can turn into a cool clothing 
I want to pay all of the ambassadors the same, like whether it be two grand each just to help with a bit of travel because I know what it's like. But from the junior ambassadors to the world champion ambassadors, everyone just gets the same amount of money and it's just like a thank you for being part of it. So there's no deal or discrepancy. It's just like a little gift. For, the it. merch is doing really well this year. We've got 100 grand profit. We're going to give three grand each to our 15 ambassadors because yeah. you guys are helping to spread the message like, and not be like he's better or he's worse. It's just like, no, nah, it's all in one and turn it into this like cool team of like, what the hell, this like mental health. Yeah. clothing and workshops is like paying their athletes money whereas because and it comes a little bit off the back of being an athlete myself knowing how hard it is to find funding yeah absolutely i'd love to just be able to like maddie cox for instance yeah. couldn't go to one of his world championships event he's the best snowboard in australia when it comes to his division in slope style and um and big air and he couldn't go to a world title event because he couldn't afford it like imagine how cool it'd be if my little mental health thing could fund him to go there. Like that'd yeah. be sick, I reckon. So and if out of he's one dude that probably deserves, deserves it the it. most out of any human I've ever met. Oh my god, most beautiful guy. Oh yeah, beautiful guy. But yeah, that's what hopefully with the good human factory, if I can keep it growing, keep developing new sort of things with it, and just keep money coming in the door, I'd love to be able to grow the merch and start paying the ambassadors and turning it into this like ultimate sporting team mm. of good humans. But it's like this mental health brand. Like I just feel like we'd flip everything on its head a little bit with the industries. For sure, definitely. And I think um, those values that you're talking about are getting more recognised in this day and age with social media, to an extent. Mm. <laughs> to an extent. Um, but it's an easy. It's it's good that we have these platforms to talk about it more. Um, I love what you said about having an equal from the bottom guy to the top guy. Um, and I remember you telling me about like trying to, if you like what you said with Matty Cox, like trying to get that funding to get him to a world-class stage because he mm. takes his training like very seriously. He does, eats all the right foods. He does everything right. Um, so yeah, just to, to get that moving. But, um, I just love you following those guys that, um, with that, anyone that knows Matty Cox, one of the most positive outlook yeah. people. And it's like. Protecting those values, recognizing the positivity values, and I think that they're the things that will keep the sports alive and yeah, action sports on all ends. And it's recognizing those good humans because I felt like there were so many times in my industry where I was trying to fit into what the other guys were being like, but they weren't even being that good of people, but they yeah. were the ones who were getting paid because they were the ones who were cool and smoking ciggies and this and that, and I was just like, it's such a twisted reality being a professional athlete in one sport. And now that I've stepped out of it and I'm seeing the world and the business world, how insignificant and how much that like doesn't really matter. So it's like, no, I want to rate, not rate, but I want to bring ambassadors on that are just purely good people. Like, I don't know if I'll ever drop an ambassador cause like people are just a good human ambassador for life, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Uh, I've gone through like I've being around athletes all the time. I've noticed um, growing up, like you meet a lot of amazing athletes, but their values don't get recognized. And then they just literally get burned out and they disappear. Mm. And it's like, it's such a shame, but I love um, how much you're bringing all good athletes together. And then if we are recognizing each other's values, that to me, that's a form of being rich. And then mm. it's, it, that's, that's actually growing money in the bank because you're recognizing each other's values. So that's creating more fuel and more long-term jeopardy stuff. Mm. So to me, that's more 
more of a value than earning a paycheck or anything. That's yeah. recognizing values and stuff like that because then it's making stuff long term and more at peace with yourself, everything. You're as rich as your values. Yeah, that's how you make people feel. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Um, I love, it's cool to be able to be bringing everyone together and um, just bringing those values out. And we have no idea what each other's sport is. Yeah, it's, that's the cool thing. It's like we all support each other, like best friends, but yeah, yeah, we'll be like, oh, how'd you go in that event? Oh yeah, I just won a world title. It's like, oh, good on you, man. It's like so funny. Like Corey came home after like being world champ and we're all just like, Having dinner at yeah, I'm like, like, oh yeah, so how'd you go over there? Yeah, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you, trip? Trip? How'd you go? Like, oh yeah, I won. He's an hour and a half, so I reckon give me a couple more questions. Alright, killing it. Well, um, so yeah, we've done the full circle, the athlete, the upbringing, the company. What's next? Oof, what's next? I'm excited to really focus on my relationship. You've met my beautiful partner, Carol. She's yeah. getting home from um, coming lovely. here. She's moving over to Australia for a year to move in with me to sort of start our life together a bit more permanently. So that's something that I'm excited about to try and, yeah, really build that connection and find good balance between work and um, having a nice connection with somebody. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that chapter. What else is coming up? Um, yeah, like I, I kind of say this a bit, but... With the good human factory, there's not really a destination, but there's a direction. And the direction is just so to connect It's just to connect as many curious minds with mental health strategies over the next five, ten, twenty years, however long. Um, this thing continues to run, but I feel like I'm really just at the start of something that can be massive from um yeah, workshops all around the world. Hopefully be able to go to different communities that we can, yeah, help discover these simple mental health strategies. For one, for me, I want to keep learning, reading lots of books. I might do some sort of study in the next couple of years. Still on the fence about that. Um, but, yeah, just continue to grow each aspect of the business. I've got a business partner about to come on with the Good Human Factory to help me with some growth and a bit more strategy and structure. I really struggle with the finance and the um, sales side of stuff. So he's going to really help out with that. So I'm excited to see where that's going to go. Got a retreat coming up in Bali in July, which is going to be epic. Yeah, going, to, wow. going to Europe in June for a couple of weeks to break my year-long sober, <laughs> which is going to be a bit of fun. But, yeah, man, just going to continue trying to grow the Good Human Factory. That's what I'm super passionate about. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity through this podcast, through the merch, through the workshops to continue growing each of those avenues and also be super adaptable if new opportunities come up and always be finding ways that we can move into other industries and how we can, yeah, just continue to grow. But it's been bloody fun doing it so far. There hasn't been a single day that I've thought, oh, I want to quit, I want to um, do something else because, yeah, like I said, I just feel like I'm walking in the direction that I want to be going. Yeah, I love the direction you think you said with no end destination. It's like you can't get west, but you can head west. <laughs> you can never get west. That's good. I like that. Um, I also loved it, an analogy you told me a while ago and it really helped me under just, – just it was more like a, a refreshment thing. But when you first started Good Human Factory and it was a slow process at the start, you said to me, you were like, I'm just an apprentice. I'm a first year apprentice of what I'm doing. And you, when you started the business, you, you had a, you're like, I'm starting an apprenticeship. So you had like a, I'm just doing it for the first four years and then I'm just getting started. Yeah. So you went in with that direction. And I think, um, 
Yeah, there was no end destination. You're like, oh, it just means I'm qualified now. Yeah. At a four-year mark, I'm going to be roughly like having everything figured out and then I'm just going to be, then I'm qualified and I can actually get started. So I think that coming in with that mindset of that, what you just said with the direction, like I think that's how I don't, it's such, everything seems no, so natural, nothing's forced. Mm. Such a, such an amazing, um, good natural energy vibe thing that I've been a part of which anything I've done with sponsorship or whatever it is it's very few companies I get to work with it's naturally um, runs itself or it's not forced or it's, yeah it's just not trying to be more than it needs to be like I'm just so yeah happy with kind of what I've built but also understand like you said I've kind of built this as an apprentice in my mind with no I've had mentors around me. Don't get me wrong. I've had great people who have helped me along the journey. Yeah. But no one that's literally been there alongside me the whole way. So I've just had to learn, get stuff wrong, get stuff right. And I feel like I'm getting close to the end of my apprenticeship, but far out, I've still got so much to learn. Like yeah. Every day I'm learning new stuff. So I, I don't done. think you ever will have it all oh, no. figured out. Okay. Yeah. The world's consistently changing so much. So whatever formulas worked last year might not work this year. And yeah, it's a forever ending journey. Yeah, absolutely. We're heading west. <laughs> We're heading west. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you know the last question for good humans? You can ask it to me. <laughs> Three things you'd be grateful for. No, I've just been a good human being. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, getting, I was getting to that. That was the last one. <laughs> Cooper Chapman, what does being a good human mean to you? Oh, I actually did not even think about this at all. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think for me being a good human is just someone... There's so many. There's so many ways to answer this I question because I've heard a hundred people answer it. Um, <laughs> no, I, at this stage in my life right now, I think being a good human is someone who takes accountability for their own life. Oh, I love that. And um, lives by solid values. Let's their values guide their life. That's what I think being a good human is. Yes, sir. Love yeah. that. Love right. that. Um, yeah, love that. So that has so much depth and meaning. Because well, everyone can relate to it it's like yeah what are my values it sounds so simple but if you break down what you just said and you can actually apply that in your everyday life it will change your life forever i'll I'll add to it a good a good human is someone who knows what their values are and diligently lives to them yeah Mm. and can see and it takes being it takes questioning your actions all day every day Literally every Until day. you start to realize your actions lead up to those values. Yeah, and then you might go on autopilot and it works and it comes naturally, but mm. you have to, you're going to fall back into that rut again and you have to relearn them again and yeah. just stay on top of it. And it's, mm. it's never owned, it's always ran today. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Um, three things that you're grateful for. <laughs> three things I'm grateful for uh, right now. I don't know why I'm looking at it. I'm going to say I'm really grateful for a rapper for sponsoring this podcast. I haven't had any other sponsors over the last 15 months. They've been huge supporters of it. Um, I absolutely love their product. I love working with the people who I work with with them. And yeah, I'm super grateful for that. It's um, been a massive one for me. Also, another one, grateful for our friendship group. Like we've spoken about in this podcast, I feel like it's super unique. I feel like it's something that I don't take for granted and I'm, very grateful for um and then number three grateful for you bro for saying yes to doing this podcast i feel like you have a very unique interesting view of the world and it's something i'm super inspired by so i'm grateful for our friendship 
Jeez, boss, appreciate that. <laughs> it's cool hearing um hearing you answer all that in those certain ways. Um, final final one. Going into this year, this whole year that you've done, if you could do something better, if you could if you could be give yourself constructive criticism on how you could have done something better this year, what would have you done? There's one thing I'm not going to answer on this podcast <laughs> that you probably already know what I probably want to say. Um, but one thing that I wish I probably did a bit better this year, taking my fitness more seriously. It's something I struggle with mentally every day, knowing that I'm probably not doing as much as I'm capable of. Yeah, um, yeah that's something that I wish I've done better, but consciously trying to get better. But yeah, yeah. That's yeah, nice. cool. That's, that's good. Really it's a hard balance to nail everything. It's it's. it's, oh, it's impossible. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> I, I I tell myself it's not impossible, but I oh, know it's, <laughs> it's it's at moments like the seesaw goes both ways. Yeah, like, and that's like, what makes it so fun. That's You're what forever exactly. guessing, and you never have figured never have it figured out. And when you do have it figured out, you get hit with reality, and that's a little thing we like to call life. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But man, thank yeah. you for interviewing me on my podcast it's been, I Dude, think, number 100 number let's go 100, good human factory yeah thanks to everyone what who, an um, incredible achievement yeah cheers bro thanks to everyone who's tuned in to any of the 100 episodes thanks to anyone who's tuned into this episode i guess i'll kind of out this yeah, yeah exactly. if you've enjoyed learning my story a bit more make sure you share it on your story it'll let people know a bit more about why i do what i do it'll let yeah, hopefully you get a bit more insight into why I operate the way I do. I'm super flawed. I've got lots of things that I'm trying to get better at. But, yeah, it's been great getting to share my story with one of my best mates, talking about some very unique um, angles and topics. I think this might have been my longest episode yet, but, no, it's not quite the longest, but it's one of. But, yeah, thank you for interviewing me and thank you to everyone for the continued support. I've got some big guests coming up. I don't want to jinx it, but hopefully Kelly Slater in the next week or two Oh, he's been ducking and, he's been ducking and weaving me but he um he messaged me yesterday saying he's gonna be on the goldie in the next week or two so hopefully you get that one very soon um yeah thanks for everyone for continuing to support make sure you subscribe do all that good stuff and yeah thanks for listening to harry interview me on good humans podcast yes sir it's uh yeah, thanks for having me boss yeah. and um hey i'm very excited for the future um like when I say I'm excited for the future, like uh, what we have and what we're sharing, like I feel like we are not even one tenth of what we're going to learn within ourselves and reflect to others and br keep bringing amazing people together. Mm. I honestly believe in watching your growth, like we are only at the beginning mm. of our lives and it's we're just getting started so yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really happy and proud to be a part of the journey no and i can't wait to support yours and all the boys and girls journey who are ambassadors like it's it's beautiful now i've finished competing and really caring like i can watch everyone else succeed with nothing but pure joy watching my friends achieve their goals which is um something i didn't have that mindset growing up i was very jealous of other people's achievements yeah whereas now like i watch anybody achieve anything whether it be big or small and i just get so excited about that because yeah it feels good when other people are excited for your happiness as well but yeah mm. thank you all for tuning in i'll leave it on that yes sir thank you, you. <laughs> cheers bro like <laughs> we got there ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 